and uh, I've watched it a couple times this week, and it, it hits me every time that that's a modern retelling, and I get to be a part of a church who knows some of that pain, either as the prodigal or as the father looking out. And uh, before we go on, uh, I want to invite us to sit still in that, and then we're going to pray together. Then we'll go into the text, okay? So let's do this. Father, I know you hear our heart. And so right now, please hear your daughters and your sons call out to you. Father, I know who would prefer we not use that metaphor for you, not call you a father, because the idea of father is so damaged. And yet, personally, I have so much hope wrapped up in the fact that you are a good, loving, heavenly father. And right now, we ache for our, our kids whether they be our biological kids or our adopted kids or our nieces and nephews or whoever they are, those kids who are away. Lord, hear our prayer. God, give us the courage to look down the road like you did. Look for our daughters and our sons to come home. And give us that blessing of reconciliation. First to you, and then family made whole. And Lord, I recognize some of us in this room, or hopefully some of us who hear it online, or, or however this gets where it gets, I, I recognize that some of us are now taking the identity of prodigal. I thank you that you're relentless you that you pursue us and you love us so well. I pray that you give us the courage to believe for us again. And whether we've been away for years upon years or whether we just drifted this week, I pray that you bring us home. Thanks. This series is, is called Home. It's our first series in the new building, and it's about much more than a new building. It's about this feeling of home, this identity of being one who is at home. On the first week, <clears throat> excuse me, I got to talk to you about this younger son found in Luke 15. And this younger son respected his dad and wanted his inheritance, and the, the father gave it to him. The son left to make something of himself, and he lived wild and wasted all the money, ended up alone and dreaming his father's servant. And that week, most of what we talked about was this longing for home. But sometimes we feel like anything that we long for, 
mature past. But really, as we mature, we mature into this longing for home because we're hardwired for it. We're just wired to be ones who want to be at home with our Father, want to be at home with our Jesus, want to be at home with the identity we were created for. And that longing is something that only Jesus can fulfill. Now, last week, Jamel moved on in the story, and he brought us to the point where the Father meets the Son, and he's moved by compassion, and shared with how, how we belong in the Father's house, and we don't, we, part of what struck me is we don't really find God, we just find ourselves drifting and not wanting to be found ourselves, and yet the Father comes and finds us. And the father's heart is always towards his son, always looking down the road. Remember the analogy of, of looking for the bus to come and, and, and looking long down the road to see the son return. And the son found himself in the very place that he belonged all along. Here's, here's the, the passage that led us in last week. It's Luke 15, 20 through 24. It says, the son got up and went to his father. But he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, I sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put him on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. First thing that, that stood out when, when I was last week, Jamel us through it, and I'm looking at this text, it, it, it strikes me that the, the father runs. Because I can't ever remember a moment in my life where I saw my dad run. Some of you may have more physically fit dads than my children do, but I never saw my dad run. I can remember him walk briskly, like twice. Both times I was in trouble. But I didn't see him run. I never saw my uncles run. None of them did. We even played sports together. They were all sports where you didn't need to run. They were sports where you held a beverage in one hand and threw something with the other hand. Yeah. Every one of them. You got to a certain age where that's what you played. Right. Something that you did this. Whether it was bags or horseshoes. Something where like movement wasn't required. And I'm thinking of my kids. I play sports with them, but they don't really see me run. They sometimes see me lean too far forward where my feet need to catch up to my stomach. But that's not really running. I'm always the pitcher in baseball because a pitcher doesn't move very much. I'm always a quarterback in football. I say it's because a quarterback when no one's rushing him. There's just not much running. And so I'm, I'm looking at this passage. Why would the father run? I've, I've studied some of this before, and, and especially in that the father would not be seen running. He'd have to really lift up the robe that he's wearing. It would be offensive to the culture. And, and so I'm thinking this week... For people who are first hearing this, why would they think the father runs? I would have my guesses because he's so loving, because he can't wait to get to the son. I would have my guesses, but why would they see him running? And as I dug a little bit, I 
father's blood, but the father ran because of a, a couple of verses in Deuteronomy. That any, any person listening to the story as Jesus told it who were Jewish would hear this story and would automatically be struck by this relationship with the younger son who had rejected and, and embarrassed and been defiant towards his, his dad and, and the, the dad. These verses in Deuteronomy 21, son who didn't listen to his parents would be taken outside of the city and stoned by the community. If you're rebellious, go outside with, with the parents. And then the parents call out what you did, and then the community stones you, and that's meant to spread fear. That's what the very verses say. It's to spread fear in, in the rest of the community to keep kids behaving. Look it up. Deuteronomy 21 is where it is. I didn't put it up there because I wanted to make you see it. it. makes me sad. But anybody in that time would see that younger son and know if that younger son came back to that community, what would be expected is that the neighbors would waddle themselves over to a stone and have that type of party. But that father loved that son. And so that father's eyes were on the road much differently than I thought they were. Just, just like generic general love that he looked down the road. It was a very protective love. It was, nobody is going to do that to you. If rocks are thrown, if stones are thrown, they will hit me. And so that father's eyes were down the road. Be there before the neighbor's eyes were there. And his feet were on the road to be there before his feet were there. Because what happened is he got to the sun and he covered the sun. When stones were to be thrown, the father was all over that sun. And the son was giving his speech that he was practicing. Oh, and the father cut him off. spot you you don't need to hear it you ever been at that spot with somebody where you don't need the the formalities of i'm sorry for this or that you just need like hey i don't want this anymore i want something new the formalities it doesn't matter whatever happened happened let's get past it let's change we got to be brand new anyway it's all torn down it all needs to be fixed up Let, let's be something new and so this father this for his son out and comes his boy. And his son tries to earn a spot as a servant. And the father's like, God, I have no time for this. And he cuts his boy off. How rude, right? He cuts his boy off. Bring the back. Put a ring on his finger. speech to say those words. Now what are the really said bring him some clothes. And so what is the significance here, right? He says bring the best robe. An earlier here about about best robe. What would they hear? They would hear that as proof of acceptance into the family. You belong in this family. You belong here. Bring, bring my best robe 
and put it on my boy. That's what that would mean. It's not just cover him where he's tattered, but bring this that he belongs within the family. He doesn't belong as, as a servant. Sure, he did some stuff. We've addressed that. But put that robe on him. What does a ring mean? A ring means sonship. It means that this family has a son and he is that son, but it's also authority. It means that the, the weight that our name carries, he carries. The authority that I have as a father, my son has. It's very, like, well, truthfully, it's very Genesis-like, right? Go take authority over all creation. He puts this ring on his son's finger that probably has a marking, a definitive marking of the family that would say, hey, he, he is like my representative. I trust him with that. And then he's given sandals. What are sandals? Sure, they keep the feet safe, but they're bigger than that. You see, slaves don't have sandals. And servants don't have sandals. Freedmen, well, they have sandals. And for everything that should put him in bondage and owing the family and the community, the father says, let me put sandals on your feet. Because whatever it takes to make you free, you're free. You're mine. I've declared that. Now, here's the thing. As I see this, it doesn't say the father's let go of him yet. It doesn't say that. As I see this in my mind, that father's still draped over the son, talking to the servants who saw the, the father running and had to come out and figure out why he's running. And he says, quick, go get these things, but don't forget the fourth gift that he gives. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it because we're having a feast. What is this feast? This is where he's reconciled to the community around him. This is where he says, hey, neighbors, put the stone down and pick up a fork. We're going to feast. My boy's home. The son of mine was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Okay, so this feast, this party. I think of like when I was in, in Wisconsin, my friend from Wisconsin's here this week, Nita, and uh, we, we partied different up there. It's cold. This is all church party we're talking about, but it's cold. <clears throat> I remember I, I only had a gas grill and I would turn that gas grill on to like 11 to be so hot that it could like still cook food that was in the kitchen, even though the grill was outside, you know? That's how I grilled. You'd put anything on there for 12 seconds, flip it, hope you kept your eyebrows, and that was done. If, if it was dead, then, then you served it. That was kind of the goal. But the meat looked dead. It usually was all charred and broken and shriveled. That's how I grilled. That's, that's how I grew up. I grew up actually thinking I didn't like steak. And the reason I didn't like steak was because my dad threw it on the grill for, at 11. And he sat it there for about an hour and a half because he forgot. <laughs> he took it off and I had like a bite of the hardest thing I've ever ate in my life. I was like, steak is disgusting. Why would anyone want to eat that? It just, he, that's how he cooked. I don't, I don't think this was one of those northern parties. This was a fattened calf. It was, it was fattened for like a celebration. It's probably, we would probably infer, they would probably infer it was fattened for one of the, the uh, like the, um, one of the uh, religious feasts. 
You know, that's probably why it was being fattened. Maybe it was being fattened for the sun. We, we, don't, we don't know. But no matter what, you fattened one calf at a time. So all the other calves got to go out in the field and eat. And then that one lucky one got to not move. And it just sat in a pen and they just fed it and fed it and fed it. Because that one was the next big dinner. And he said, go take that calf that we've been preparing and slow cook that thing. Put it on a smoker like Kevin or Pastor Jamel would. And take all day and let the neighbors smell it and let the whole neighborhood know. And I, I'm getting into this smoking thing. Do you know how much time that takes? <laughs> we had that Labor Day thing. All, all I made was mac and cheese, and I still was up at 3.30 in the morning. This thing's work. I think that's what this kind of thing was because it mattered. I think it was slow cooking this fattened calf. They had to go from walking to plate, right? So it took a minute. But I think all that time is the time that it would take to reconcile this son to this community. To go tell the neighbors, hey, whatever your plans were for tonight, like Tebow, that show, come in. We've got to hang out. Hey, that smell is your dinner. Come here. Hey, we've got a celebration. I'll tell you about it when you come. And let's be honest, this would be a community like any community, right? Some would be pretty excited about the stones. Some would be pretty excited to throw something at somebody, to project some, some blame. But this meat's slow cooked, and it takes some time, and there's time for all of this reconciliation to happen. I mean, think of this party. The sun comes in in a robe he doesn't deserve, in a ring he doesn't deserve, in sandals he doesn't deserve, to have a feast in his honor that he doesn't deserve. And he goes and the father says, this is for you. And because I said so, this is where you are. Yeah. That's what this story's about at this point. Look at what happens next. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he came back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Okay, so I want to ask you to do some homework this week. Okay, I want you to open up your your Bible. At some point, if you don't have one, come talk to me afterwards. We'll get one in your hands. But open up your Bible, uh, physical, online, however you, however you do it, and read through Luke 15. Just read through the whole thing. It's a chapter. You can do it. You read articles that are longer. And slow read this thing. And when you get to this point, slow read the rest. Because I believe that God has something. I believe his spirit wants to work on some of us on, on the rest of this prodigal story, but we're going to stop right here because there's a gift right here for us, okay? But please finish up, the, read the whole chapter 15 this week before you come back next week. Here, here's, here's what I'm seeing at this point. The party's going on. It says that the music is strong because they're celebrating and they're dancing. It, it's, it's a complete community party. The fattened calf is delicious. And the sun and the robe and the ring and the sandals with this party. I'm, I'm guessing that he feels relieved a little bit. Because this went better than he could imagine, right? And I'm guessing 
that he feels un unworthy a little bit because it's better than he could imagine. But there's security because the father's there. And the father gave him a robe and a ring and sandals. And I'm sure with the love that that father has shown that he's continually reminding him, hey, this is who you are. This is who you are. This new you is who you really are. Even though the neighbors knew what you did. Even though the servants know what you did. This is who you are. But then the twist that I don't think the church ever talks about. What's the father do next? The father does the very same thing he always does. The very same thing he did for the youngest son. He goes and does for the oldest. He leaves the party. Um, do you, do you, you catch that? The older brother's angry in the field. And so the father goes out to him. The father leaves again. We just sang about it. We love it when it's in song. We hate it when it's in our life. He leaves the 99. He leaves the 99. There's a party that is awesome that he threw, that he's footing the bill, that's celebrating one of his children, and he leaves it to go after another child. Every time. Now here's what, what I'm noticing in us, church. When the father leaves to go after one of our sisters or our brothers, we doubt that he's good. Mm, no. He's just consistent. I, I needed him to leave when I needed him. That first time and the 50 million times since. I remember that first time. When I finally let God grab a hold of my life and finally believe that I was more than who I believed that I was. I was certain I knew it all and then he came and nearly smacked me in the face. And I needed him to give attention to me at that moment. But what about those moments? I think if there's a moment that the church relates to the prodigal son, I believe it's this moment when they are in the party, when their past is their past, but they haven't let them go yet, and they have a robe and a ring and some sandals, and they feel as if the father's left. And they're surrounded by a community who knew, knows what they did. You ever feel like that? You're in a life that you don't deserve. You can't grab a hold and physically hold on to God, and you know that people know who you were, and you're fighting for which identity you really are. This younger son probably feels naked here. He's wearing the robe, the ring, and the sandals, but he doesn't deserve any of it, and people are aware of that. Who is he? Is he the beloved, powerful, free son, or is he the prodigal that we call him today? We still call him by that. Now, here's the thing. If you have something in your story, like say you're a prodigal, if you describe your story, if that's part of your testimony, keep that there. God redeem that. That's a horrible identity, though. If your identity is that you're a prodigal, oh, God's got so much more for you. So much more. I have friends who've been abused, and some of them talk about their abuse as a part of their healing journey. And it's one of the most beautiful, powerful things in the world as they say, like, hey, this is what had happened to me, and God has healed me. And I can look at that, and I can say, like, God is bigger. 
but I have other friends who deeply love Jesus and their identity is that they were abused. And God has so much more for you. We have people who have struggled with addiction. And that's a part of their story, and, and God uses that to bring healing to other people. And then there are people who think, you know what, God has saved me. I know that it's real, and yet my identity is I am just an addict. And I say, no, ma'am, no, sir. Your identity first is you are a son. You are a daughter. That's your story. Story and identity are two different things. So for us, not many of us when we came to faith were given a robe and a ring and sandals, right? So what do we have? He had the father that he could grab a hold of. We have Jesus that some days he's so close, like I, I, I can't grab a hold of him. And other days, that closeness isn't felt quite the same. What do we have? Well, Colossians 2. Paul says, don't let anybody in the room condemn you on matters of food or drink or observing Sabbath festivals. Don't let anyone disqualify you for your story. None of those kinds of things. Have you ever felt those things? He says, don't let anybody. Why? What do you have? He has us remember our baptism. I guess this is significant. And at one church, we don't talk about it a ton. One of the things that we can hold on to, like a ring or a robe or sandals, is that moment where we declared we are new in Christ. And we went to the baptismal waters, and we were put into the water to say that the old me is dead. It's gone. The prodigal side of me is gone. That was real. That was my life, but it is gone. And now up out of the water, I am his. Paul tells us, remember your baptism. When people are coming against you and condemning you, speaking words against you, remember that. That's an assurance that God gives you. Some of us haven't been baptized yet. Okay, let's talk. We've got a beautiful cow trough we'd love to put you in. I can't wait for the first baptism in the space. We, we can do it in the next month. Let's talk. Some of you want to know what baptism is? I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Jamel would love to talk to you. Let, let's do this. Let, we, we can do baptisms all day, every day. That's fun. It's not fun because somebody, like, needs a towel. It's fun because it's a sign that, like, somebody's life is transformed. It's fun because somebody just declared to the public around them, hey, whether you know me or not, here's my story, and let me tell you, I'm new. Amen. And the old me, that stays in the water. Yeah. And the new me comes out clean. It's not just baptism that we're given. Jesus, before he goes, he's got some nervous disciples, right? And he says, I'm, I'm going to go so the Father can send you the Holy Spirit. Much better than having me dwell among you is having the Holy Spirit dwell within you. When you declare your faith in Jesus, this thing happens that God's got trap doors into our soul that I don't understand. But he finds his way in with the Holy Spirit and transforms us and renovates us from the inside out. In those moments where you feel like maybe this or maybe that, all of a sudden God can speak clearly, not just through your ears or through your eyes, but to your soul through the Holy Spirit. And nothing and nobody can take that away from you. Somebody can declare an identity over you. Somebody can say something over you. But it's not true. Because the Spirit goes where the Spirit goes. 
And the Spirit moves as the Holy Spirit moves. And he decides to move within those whom believe in him. And so we have this assurance that, yes, that was my story and those were my moments, but the Holy Spirit dwells within me, declares me new, and he made this whole thing. So if he says I'm new, I guess I'm new. That's what this is. It's not just our baptism in the Holy Spirit, but we have this community of believers. This is where the church, we've got some growing up. To, I, I, I've never loved a church like I love this church. I've loved churches. I've never learned more than I've learned from you all. But we need to continue to grow up because part of our task is to know one another's story and say, that doesn't define you. Part of our task is to say, we are different in 5,000 ways, but we are similar in the fact that we've declared Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit lives within us, so we're the same. And that's all that matters. And all those differences will lay aside, and I will, I will die to this community. Not just find life in this community, but I will die to this community for your sake because we're one. We sing it every week, but that's what that means. And we have a community of people who should notice in one another, like that great scene in, in uh, Hook, where they're rearranging Peter's face. They're like, oh, there you are, Peter. Every time when we're passing the love, we should be able to see one another and say, hey, there you are. I see you. Not just like your physical you, but I, I see who you are meant to be. I see my brother. I see my sister. There you are. Be more of that. Let that rain out. Let that ring out. One of the things, I, I, I talk about God as Father a lot. And so I'll, I'll talk to you and other people about our issues of God being Father a lot. And we doubt him and we get nervous about him. And we mostly doubt that he's good. And we doubt that we're secure in him. And there are ways that we would prefer God does things. There are. We're very limited. You hang out with me for 10 minutes, you'll see my limits. But he is good. And he's given us some security of home that we can hang on to. He's given us a way that we can know. So today, some of you may have never put your faith in Jesus. I don't know all of us here. Maybe you're somebody who walks in and you're like, yeah, I've been trying this out, but I don't know if I could really trust that he's chronically good. I don't, I don't know that I can trust that God is really that for me. I don't know that I can trust he's so powerful that he can redeem all of my past. I don't, I don't know if I can trust that. And let me tell you, if that is you, please, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to pray, come forward. There's going to be people up here who'd love to talk to you, pray with you. Don't do this alone. You know the patterns that you currently have. God has something different for you. If that's you, I want to read a passage for you. This is in the psalm. It's for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This is for you. This is for me. This is for us. With people who would love to talk and pray with you. People who would love to share the Father's heart towards you. For some of you, it might really be time to be baptized. You may have wondered on this thing forever. We don't 
put a bunch of rules on anything. So then like, ah, uh, I don't really want to get in a cow trough. I don't really want to be wet. I don't like being wet. I don't, uh, I get it. I get it. Let me tell you, it might be your time. Because on some of my dark days where I wonder if I'm alone and I wonder if this is all a hoax, I've had two or three of those. I don't know. I remember the day in the Chippewa River where I hopped in the river and I was baptized by my pastor. And I got out of that water and said, that old, that, those old doubts got to go. And it was a little different because it was a river, so you could just wash, watch the waves kind of wash away. And I could imagine some of that just washing away. And there's something to declaring to a community I am new because of the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And so if you're wanting to be baptized, come talk to Pastor Jamal or myself afterwards. We'll make this happen. We'll make it happen soon. But for all of us in this room, I know that every one of us needs a reminder that we're secure in him. And you know, I know every one of us needs a reminder that we're home, that God's still good, that he still loves us, that he's not finished with us yet, that he has more in this community than just filling a chair, but he's got... He's got brothers and sisters that we can really learn to like live with one another, serve one another, love one another. Truth is you belong to the Father and the people next to you, they belong to the Father. And so this, this morning as we close out this series, we're gonna remember it in the way that Jesus invited us to, okay? So in a moment, I'll pray if you want to pray with somebody about what this whole faith thing looks like or baptism, please do that. But otherwise, Jamel and I are going to be up here. And, and this morning, we want to serve you communion. We want to give you the Lord's Supper. We want to hand you the cup and hand you the loaf to remind you you belong here. Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. The same way he took the cup, he blessed it and gave thanks, and he passed it, saying, this is my blood poured out for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. But today, we remember the Father who comes running down the road for us for much more urgency than we might, not, we might have known. We remember the party that's thrown for everyone who comes to faith. We remember the body and the blood broken and shed to give the power and authority to make all this happen. Heavenly Father, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you're not finished with us yet. Thanks for your love and how it's vastly more complex than I knew. It's, the levels of it are humbling. God, for somebody in this room, who needs to just be reminded that they're loved by you. Will you, will you do that to their, to their soul? Will you, Holy Spirit, will you remind them or give them the courage to reach out to somebody, to pray with, talk with, give them a physical hug? God, would you move in this room? And may we remember you and remember who we are in light of you as we receive communion.